Welcome to Manufacturing Mavericks, a podcast where we showcase and celebrate exceptional people from across precision manufacturing who are boldly embracing new ways to improve their processes, grow their bottom lines, and ensure American manufacturing will thrive for generations to come. Welcome to this episode of Manufacturing Mavericks. I'm your host, Greg McHale. As the founder of Datanomics, I've had the privilege of visiting hundreds of shops all across the country. And in those visits, I have met some of the most incredible and innovative people in this industry. Our goal with the Manufacturing Mavericks podcast is to highlight those leaders, those mavericks of manufacturing who are innovating, not just with technology, but with culture, people, and process too. So we can all learn not just what they do, but why they do it. We'll dig into what got them into manufacturing, what fires them up to go to work every single day and pour their blood, sweat, and tears into keeping the manufacturing dream alive in our country. With that, I'm honored to introduce today's manufacturing maverick, Kylan Hostrader. Welcome to the show, Kylan. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me today, Greg. Absolute pleasure. And Kylan, you know, I've been out to your facility there in Wisconsin, great part of the country, very impressive operation that you guys have there. Your company has been featured as a top shop in modern machine shop magazine. So really an honor to have you on the show. So really, really appreciate that. Thank you. And likewise. To get things started, Kylan, tell us about Hostrader Industries. Tell us about how the business got started. Great family story. How's the business run today? You know, what's what's your role? What, you know, what are the different family members up to? You know, kind of take us through the journey. The, uh, the company was started by my father and mother back in uh, the late 80s. And it was really born out of the necessity of what are we going to do when we return to Wisconsin? Uh, that's where both my parents were from. They were living in Ohio at the time. And my mother's finishing up her master's degree. And my mother had uh, the idea, well, why don't you start your own business? And my dad said, okay. <laughs> and uh, basically never looked back from there. And he uh, started with a single manual Makino LeBlanc lathe in, um, in a hog shed. You know, there was no electricity. He had to wire the building himself. Uh, so it was, it was uh, kind of that uh, classic uh, starting in a garage kind of story. And, um, you know, he purchased his uh, first uh, CNC lathe in uh, 1991 and uh, just kind of grew from there, uh, mostly staying as a, a turning shop uh, for, for most of those years. And we really were born out of the aerospace industry. That's where Ken worked, you know, as a machinist prior to starting his own business. And uh, so you know, the, our focus has always been more of the quality, complex parts. Um, and so when, when we joined, so I joined the company back in uh, 2016, and the company was still called UTM Inc. Uh, that was the original, uh, it was Universal Tool and Machine from back in the day. And uh, we eventually renamed the, the company to Hostrader Industries with the second generation, me and both my brothers that came on board, as well as just what our vision for the for the company was moving forward. A hog shed was the, was the starting place, a dark hog shed. Yeah, 50 bucks a month in rent. <laughs> wow, that's, that's impressive. And so is that very first lathe still an asset somewhere on the shop floor? It is. Ironically, the Makino LeBlanc lathe sits next to our 10-axis multitasking mill turn. Wow. So it's, uh, it's not not a Swiss lathe, but basically you got five axes for the main spindle, five axes for the subspindle, B axis. And uh, just one of the things that I love about that, like that old Makino, like still gets used. But, you know, when we have uh, kids that come in and tours, and I think this comes back to just kind of who we are in our culture, but it's like when you, if you're going to be in a career or a field for 40 years and you look at that manual lathe and then you look at that 10 axis machine, you know, that machine is only 35 years apart. Actually, it's 33 years apart, you know. So, you know, what 
is your career going to look like, you know, 20 years in? Are you progressing? Are you growing? Or, you know, are you going to look like that 10 axis or are you going to look like that two axis? There's still a purpose for that two axis, but one's going to go further, make more. What a great visual. I mean, I'm older than the two axis, Kylan. So you're kind of making me feel feel like maybe I've got a little dust on me, but what a great, you know, way to anchor that conversation with, with new folks coming into the company is these aren't that far apart. And you can be one of these or you can be one of those. And I find that when people fit into where their passions are at, they naturally do well because they want to learn, they want to grow. And even just, you know, looking at you at Datanomics, I don't think there's a speck of dust, you know, not not with, you know, just the world class product that we've experienced with Datanomics. But, you know, and it's the same thing with the the people that, you know, we, we employ or the equipment that we use and our and our vendors and our partners is, you know, that passion is evident and and you can typically see the, the fruits from it. For sure. So in terms of, um, you know, you getting started into manufacturing, was it helping make parts in the hog shed or, or where did the torch get lit for you? So by the time I was three years old, we would have actually, my parents at that time had built a house and the machine shop was actually in the basement of the house. So we went from a hog shed to inside Marshfield where we were on uh, second street to then uh, t- to the house. Um, and so basically it's an open face basement with the machine shop in the basement. So growing up from when I was three onwards, is hey, every kid's got a machine shop in their basement, right? <laughs> you know, the, the way that my parents existed was because there's really when you have a family business, you know, on one end of the spectrum, kids can, can become entitled. And on the other end of the spectrum, they can become burnt out and they don't want anything to do with the family business. And really more of that happy medium was, you know, we, we were in the shop, we would be sanding parts. I remember being a super young kid, um, you know, pulling parts out of the Mazak, you know, because it was being, you know, bar pulled and parts were just getting spat out of the parts catcher. You know, it's like I remember doing stuff when I was a kid, but my parents really kind of pushed us to say, you don't need to be part of the business. Go be who you're designed to be, who you're meant to be. You don't have to be here. You know, we helped out in the shop when it was really needed, but it was kind of that balance. And so the manufacturing was always there. You know, I I think that uh, the things that make manufacturing successful, you know, that efficiency mindset and, you know, just things like that was, you know, instilled in us. And so I think that's what happens sometimes is, you know, how are you raised? You're raised in a way that all of a sudden you realized, oh, I was actually kind of raised for the things that my parents came out of just because that's where they came out of. And so we weren't really forced into the business, but it just became a natural fit when, uh, when, when I finished college and, you know, just decided that, you know, with what the company wanted to do, not just from a growth perspective, but manufacturing and making really cool parts and, but also what we could do in the community with the business. Um, and from a nonprofit perspective, we've launched a, a makerspace in town to give kids exposure to manufacturing and engineering. And, you know, so I think that's where a lot of that passion kind of, it wasn't necessarily, I wasn't passionate about manufacturing when I was a kid, but it grew into it especially based off of what we were able to do with the business. Wow. Yeah. So s- several great things you brought up there that I, I definitely want to tunnel into, Kyle. And I think the contrast, you know, you suggested about family businesses and, and what can happen, right? You can be spoiled, you can be burnt out, or you can be somewhere in the middle. I think that's definitely a risk and certainly something I've seen in family businesses, right? There's sometimes folks just don't want to be a part of it at all. Sometimes they want to be a part of the benefits, but maybe they don't want to put the work in. And and the the happy place is, is somewhere in between those two poles for sure. Now, you mentioned around 2016 is when you got involved in the business. Sounds like your siblings did as well. So 
So kind of what happened there? So you, you went to college figuring out, you know, what really do you want to be? And you all ended up being drawn back to the business. And then sounds like you rebranded probably some some strategy and decisions that happened there. So take us through that. I finished my education in business administration in uh, 2016. My final semester, I was actually studying abroad in the Middle East. And so got back to Wisconsin in June. And my brother, my older brother, started in May the month before. And I mean, we're walking in and there's four CNC machines and you know, basically uh, a small but significant operations, I guess you could say. And it was pretty much just, uh, all right, guys, well, we got to do sales. We got to do marketing. We got to do this, this and that. And uh, let's let's figure it out. And so it was a lot of just figuring it out. There was, you know, one role that Keegan started, my older brother, that then I ended up taking on because it just we just kind of shook into our roles. And, and even to this day, like what he does, I wouldn't want to do and what I do, you know, he doesn't want to do. And then my little brother went through the same uh, machine tool program at the technical college that my that my father went through, and so then he so then my younger brother started full time in uh, 2017, uh, the year later. So it wasn't until 2018 that we rebranded from UTM to Hostrader Industries, particularly from the perspective. Uh, it, was, it was a couple fold, you know, what was the meaning behind, you know, UTM and, you know, our website was UTM machining. So it's universal tool and machine machining. Like it just didn't encompass where we were going as an organization and what our vision was for being able to to really make impact, whether it was with our work environment, our employees within the community, to our customers, et cetera. And, you know, and ultimately, you know, when you have a, a, a multifaceted vision, what do you call that organization? And for us, you know, if we put our name on it, there's nothing to hide behind. Who we are is our name. And so that's why we, you know, we rebranded and renamed to to Hostrader Industries. And you know, even if you look at our logo, it's a lowercase H and a lowercase I put together to be a capital H. And, and essentially what, what I get at with that, and, and I'll use this analogy. If we were the only machine shop in America, could we function? Absolutely not. Because there'd be no vendor support. There'd be no you know, supply chain there, you know, and so it's not hard to make the, um, the conclusion then is that, you know, with your, your, your customers, your vendors, your employees, your community, your, the schools, well, even the schools and us are part of the community that all of that together can be synergistic to be made bigger. You know, just like that lowercase H and lowercase I can never be bigger until you put them together to be capitalized. So it's a little bit symbolic just from, you know, our philosophy as a business and, um, and really how much further we can go, you know, together with the, with the right partners. I love how you went so far as to encapsulate that even in the design of your logo. I know how important culture is, uh, to your company. You know, I've, I've walked the shop floor. I've met many of your team members and I, you know, you talked about community several times there. So you mentioned earlier, you, you invested in a maker space, you bring students in, uh, on tours, it sounds like. Tell us more about really the the culture of the shop and the culture of the community and, and what you guys are trying to build out there and why you've put your name behind that. So I think the culture is, um, I mean, most cultures are always, should be dynamic at least. On one side of the coin, there's the culture that stems from just why do we exist as a business? And that comes into the flavor of, you know, so from our personal philosophy, really the order of importance is 
is God family work, right? So work is an important part of what we do, right? But the family business doesn't own the people. The people are all here to serve the business and then we all win together. And then from the results of our resources, we're able to invest back into the community. So for example, you know, the Mid-State Technical College uh, machine, new machine tool lab, you know, that's uh, being sponsored by House Trader Industries. You know, that's just an example of of giving back from a financial perspective, but it really should be more than just, you know, financial in my perspective. So when we look at, you know, the local schools, it's working with the schools and supporting them in their education program um, in the technical education. And, you know, so like, for example, with the makerspace, I use the example of, you know, if you think about your typical high school, I mean, we have a very good school system in Wisconsin. When you look at state rankings is even when you look at those schools, you go to your FIED class and you have how many sports to choose from? 10. And then you go to your tech ed department and how many clubs do you have? Zero, one, yeah. two. Mm-hmm. So why are you surprised if you don't have workforce, right? So either we can be part of the solution or you just, you know, cry about it. I know you guys don't cry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Is uh, So Ken and Sandra, so my parents started a nonprofit back in 2011 that the vision started, 2013, that it... Uh, actually became a 501c3. Uh, it's Shiloh Bound is the nonprofit. And um, which so you can kind of tell there's things that we do. There's long-term vision behind behind what we do as an organization. And so the operating entity of the makerspace is called C2, stands for Collaborate and Create. So the local, so we, we, we created that it's an industry-driven makerspace that services multiple school districts from one location. So there's an economies of scale. So there's the machining pod, the laser pod. So it's like a laser cutter engraver, a fabrication pod. And the pods are like the technology groups, engineering electronics pod, 3D printing. There's now a textiles pod that's uh, being added because these all these different pods are reflective of local industry. And so now industry has sponsored all these different pods or in the process of sponsoring as we're adding the textile pod right now. And so now you think about you know, who teaches. So now we have a metalworking club, a robotics club, junior level, senior level. We have a a technical theater and cosplay club, which is an interesting one. Uh, And then there's additional clubs. So now all of a sudden there's all these extracurricular clubs that the kids never had. So now when you have the metalworking club or the 3D printing club and they say, hey, I want to go use that machine over there that removes metal. Oh, it's a lathe. Okay. So who's who's teaching you know, that machining level one, level two, level three, it's people from industry, people from hash rate industries. Relationships get built. You know, think about Boy Scouts, who teaches the nuclear science merit badge. It's the radiologist, right? You know, so now we're thinking about it from a STEM perspective for manufacturing, for engineering, for things like, you know, whether it's the metalworking, the electronics, the wiring, the coding, whatever it is, it's people from industry. And those relationships get built and businesses are scary to most kids. And so, all of a sudden, they're learning some really fun stuff and they're showing up out of their own passion. I mentioned passion earlier. They're, these kids are showing up out of their own passion to make things, to design things, to learn things on their own time. It's extracurricular and it's very open-ended. So they're able to apply their passion in creative ways and also in collaborative ways. So there's a lot of soft skill development. And so now they build those relationships and they say, hey, I'm really excited about you know technology A. Oh, you're a company that uses technology A in the industrial park down the road. Where are they going to want to work? Now they're going to want to work at that company. They're going to do their youth apprenticeship there. So Wisconsin has a very strong youth apprenticeship program that you can do your junior, senior year. Basically, you can get school credit and go to work and get paid for it. Uh, It's the Department of Workforce Development program as well. And so now these kids, you know, it, it becomes almost a form of advanced career counseling as well. And now, I mean, if you think about, you know, the opportunity as a business, 
where you might be working with these kids in a club for years before they even come and work to you. So there's already been a level of mentorship that's ahead before they even start working at your company, which is immensely powerful. You talk about passion in others, Kylan. I mean, I just heard it in you. That's, you know, your desire to not just sit back and hope that people want to get into manufacturing, that they want to get into design and engineering, that they want to make stuff. You're making it happen. I mean, it, and it's not just like, hey, here's a here's a scholarship for a seat at a community college, right? Which is which is kind of the you know the the standard or easy answer. I mean, this makerspace sounds like a fantastic time. Is there somewhere people can go to to see what it looks like and and what programs are available? Yeah, the the website is c2makerspace.com. So it's the letter C and then the number two, makerspace.com. Um, and then there's Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, there's social media for it. And so we're based out of Marshfield, Wisconsin, where we're located right now. And it's good to have things like those scholarships, but not every problem can be solved with just raw dollars. I was just going to say in the example with the makerspace, you know, it we it was higher education, partnered with K through 12, partnered with industry, partnered with the Chamber of Commerce, you know, and every type of institution has inherent strengths, inherent weaknesses. And we just pull all that together and we made something happen. And, you know, and it's it's making impact. You know, it's it's um, it's educational for the students. It's workforce development for us in the community. And, and with it being so collaborative between these types of institutions, that's that synergy that I was talking about earlier. What you did was was incredible that you literally looked at the gaps at every level of the equation. I mean, you started with it, not enough clubs and interest at the high school level, right? Not a physical place to go even hang out and try to make it happen. No access to the equipment to get an interest in it if you wanted to. And then no obvious place of where to go if you wanted to try your skills the workforce program that you leverage, and then the real conversations inside of businesses that, like you said, are typically scary. Like, oh, that's a place that big old people go to do things, and that's not somewhere I go. But you literally created on-ramps from all the different components of the ecosystem where people could possibly generate an interest. And, you know, like I said, I, I can tell you can do it out of just an absolute genuine passion for seeing, you know, solutions to these problems coming to fruition and not just saying, hey, this is, you know, this is the hand we're dealt. It is, it is beyond impressive. So definitely, you know, folks should check out that C2 maker space. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's very impressive. And I'm guessing you have even bigger visions for it as your programs continue to deliver success? Basically, uh, December was our soft launch last December, so a year ago. And then we've been going through ramping up the programs, adding clubs, adding additional pods like the textile pod that I mentioned. The textile pod, for example, like we have textile manufacturing in this area for pop-up tents for campers. We have shoe manufacturing. So there's all sorts of unique applications that we don't even necessarily think about from a metalworking perspective, right? But the kid that is meant to be a machinist, they got to get an opportunity to get in there and be that. The kid that's meant to, you know, be, you know, career B, C, D, E, et cetera. If we can give them that exposure, we're getting the right people plugged in the right locations. And ultimately, not ultimately, but when we, when we looked at the statistics, when we look at uh, Wisconsin, we have the highest concentration of manufacturing out of any state. Like manufacturing is what we do. Then when we look at central Wisconsin, which is a four county area, we grew by 0.1% population from 2014, 2019. That meant the average county was growing by under 25 people a year. And there's 100,000 people that are retirement age right now. And so manufacturing is actually the largest industry in central Wisconsin, but the people are growing up in these communities, not 
understanding the reality of their own community. They didn't know that manufacturing is the largest industry. And plus, they just assume it's dirty, it's dark, it's not well lit, it's not safe, it doesn't pay well. But then when you finish looking at the statistics, the average job in manufacturing in central Wisconsin paid 65K a year across all education levels. So it was also the, the largest employer, fastest growing, but we weren't growing our population. And that comes back to the fact that we just weren't retaining our people. They're leaving the area. Why are they leaving? Because they don't know about the opportunities. They didn't have the clubs. They didn't have the pathway. You know, if people are leaving the area and getting good paying jobs, that's a success. But we know that's not the case when people have degrees that they can't find work for, which means there's opportunity for improvement. Just like in manufacturing where we have continuous improvement and we're always trying to make things better. Like if we're not doing that for our community, then we're leaving opportunity on the table, you know, whether it's workforce development, just pure betterment of life, et cetera. And so when I looked at the demographics, like a lot of companies in our area are in trouble right now already from trying to find workforce, but it's going to be that much worse 10 years from now, 15 years from now. So we have to do something now so that we can solve really tomorrow's challenge. Brilliantly stated, Kylan. And, and one of the most innovative responses I've seen from a singular company, no less, you know, to try to address these challenges. Hats off to you. And, and I really hope that through the course of discussing this and, and even through this episode, you know, maybe there are other company owners, leaders that are interested in potentially trying to understand and replicate that model in their own regions. Because I think you have very cleverly and creatively hit at the core root of the issue in the form of awareness and opportunity. I appreciate that. And going back to your earlier statement about, you know, having big plans for the makerspace, that is the opportunity that we have is to replicate this model in other communities to make a difference in our country. For sure. Really, really awesome, uh, awesome chapter there, Kylan, going through your your view on community and investment and obviously how that plays into culture and what goes on inside inside the four walls of your facility. I know another passion topic for you is technology. So how do you see technology? I mean, you talked about the 10 axis machine, right? So, so I, I know we're going to go to some cool places here, but how do you see technology as part of the culture of your shop? And how do you think about investments in technology? I mean, so, you know, the, the first thing is, is that depending upon the type of markets you serve, the type of work that you do, at the end of the day, you have to have the right tools for the type of work that you do. So the type of uh, industries that we primarily serve is aerospace, defense, space, energy, such as power generation. And we also do industrial equipment, you know, whether it's parts for automation applications, machinery, and as well as medical is more of a growing market for us. Uh, typically medical parts that are not left in the body, but are like medical devices. And then a very, very small amount of just other other industries. And so for us, with especially with the markets that we serve, you know, we do, you know, five axis milling, three axis, of course, to we do two to four axis turning, five axis mill turn, you know, most of our lathes, you know, live tooling, subspindle, Y axis. I mentioned Ken got his first CNC lathe back in 1991. You know, so we've always had that philosophy of if we're going to buy another machine, it's got to be able to service the future in terms of capacity, size of the machine, capability, et cetera. And we, you know, when you walk into our, our door, you know, we've got a bunch of our partner brands up for equipment that we use. I just like to do that from the standpoint of, it's kind of like uh, if you see a dealership, they got all the brands up. Well, for us, we don't have our own product line. We're making other people's parts for them. We don't get to put their names up. And, well, we have one aerospace customer that said we could. <laughs> uh, shout out to Stratolaunch. You know, so, you know, there's Matsura, Kuma, there's a Miltronics mat on the floor, got Mazax, you know, and so we just have the different equipment for the right work. So we have such a variety of, of work, such a variety of parts. That technology then is just baked into our culture of 
I mean, frankly, it's just it is fun having the latest and greatest, right? The average person would rather drive a Ferrari than than a beater, right? Um, and so a lot of the experiences we have with just bringing best in class products on board is like that. You know, the Matsuras, the uh, Dynamics, High QA as our quality software, things like that. Um, but what it does is it creates a digital ecosystem that preps us for the future to be able to, and we're starting to see those synergies now between the different products and what we're able to pull together and get pictures that we could never see before. Um, and for us with our culture, you, you know, I talked about the community being one side of our culture and, you know, and being able to make a difference. But that other side is just that, that technology to be, you know, you walk in and there's epoxy floors and bright LED lights and mist collectors that keep the environment clean. And, and people are like, man, I could eat off this floor. And I'm like, shoot, it hasn't been cleaned, you know, in three days, like it's kind of dirty, like, you know, like, because we have this expectation and this standard, and, you know, and sometimes we hold ourselves to a higher standard than, you know, maybe what the customer would, you know, sometimes want, you know, but that reflects in just our quality, right? Because that technology turns into efficiency and quality of product to be able to deliver, you know, we're ISO 9001, AS9100, you know, and it's all reflected in that. But from a culture perspective, when we look at what we've done for a talent supply chain, there isn't a surplus of machinists in central Wisconsin. There isn't. Like, you, you can't just hire an experienced machinist, right? But our average machinist age is in the 30s. Why? Because we've grown our, we've grown our talent pipeline. We've trained people in from youth apprenticeship up. We've got the experienced person. We've got the young person. And even the most experienced person that I thought would be really resistant to change. He just rode with it these last seven years. And he's been with us for 22 years. And, you know, I mean, the first majority of his career with us, it was just the same, right? But since 2016, there's been a lot of change. And, you know, so we, so like the guys, if we go three months without something changing, like they get antsy when something new happening. There's the perfect description of technology into the culture, right? They are anticipating positive disruption because they're expecting that you're trying to make things better. And it comes down to two things to, to what you're saying about making things better, right? If you have a relationship with the people that you work with, and depending on your size, it's hard to make a relationship with every single person, depending on your size, but you at least have a reputation with every single person. And a lot of that reputation is going to be based off of the, re- the relationships you do have, right? So making the change, getting people to have buy-in for new technology, it does start with your relationship with the people on the floor and your coworkers, your managers, your bosses, et cetera. And the second thing is just communication. You're not bringing in technology to make their life harder. At least you shouldn't be, right? If it's done right, it's going to make their life better from some perspective. And so when it's communicated in a way that makes sense to them and they have buy-in and you ask their opinion or you let them know that this is what they're looking at so they have the opportunity to, to speak up and throw out ideas, you have the buy-in and eventually that builds, you know, so because we have that, I don't know if you just want to call it repertoire, you know, they just, they expect that change to be positive in some way. That's incredible. I mean, in anticipating changes in technology is definitely not something I hear about all over the place. And, you know, being able to eat off the shop floor can definitely do that in your shop. If you want to see what that's not like, you're welcome to come on the road with me sometime. <laughs> maybe, you'll, maybe you'll feel even better about your floor. I, I, I got pictures of the hog shed. Definitely don't want to eat out of that. So <laughs> Kylan, I mean, obviously, again, technology 
hugely passionate about it. You've got your people anticipating investments. It sounds like you've almost turned it into a game for them of they're going to get antsy if they don't see something new. So what are some of the biggest investments you have made in the last year or two? And what which ones have been the most impactful for you? Um, so I guess when you say biggest, it could be looked at from two different perspectives. I mean, multiple perspectives, but you know, one is just the, the, the raw size of it. Another one would just be like uh, what the total ROI would be. Uh, there's, I mean, there's uh, quite a few different technologies I could discuss. Um, one, one is actually an acquisition that I'll talk about, but um, from a, from a, a large uh, investment perspective, um, we acquired our first Matsura five axis mills in summer of 21, uh, which would have been uh, about 10 months before we brought Datanomics on board. Um, and we've since just added a Matsura um, MX330 PC10. So it's a five, it's a, it's a smaller five axis machine with a pallet pool. Um, which uh, is just finishing. It's actually the the probes are being installed today. And, you know, what, I mean, so those are, I mean, and those, those two, uh, those first two Matsuras that we bought as a pair, they are two of our most booked machines. Um, very, very productive, very busy machines. Uh, but, and, and this kind of comes down to, you know, pairing technologies together is, um, you know, with Datanomics, one of its values for us has just been getting more spindle utilization out of our machines, right? Increasing production. Instead of having to buy another machine last year, we looked at the data, said, oh, I just need to upskill somebody to get another person on these machines, increase our output, and then, you know, basically upskill everybody else, to, you know, kind of across the shop. Because the Metzers are higher machines and you don't just, you know, hop on those machines. You know, you, you take some of the more experienced people and, and train them onto those machines. And then, so then it wasn't until a year later that I did finally buy another Matsura because, you know, we just looked at the data and said, hey, this is when we actually need to buy another machine, even though our capacity was maxed, right? Because people will come to you and say, hey, we need to do this or that, right? You know, if you're an owner, you've got managers, they'll say, hey, we need to buy another machine. Well, why do we need to buy another machine? Well, our capacity is maxed out. Well, why is our capacity maxed out? They think it's purely machine, right? But, you know, the more data you have, the more you're able to get some additional perspective to be able to look into making the best decision possible. And, we, and we've experienced that by having, you know, the, the, the data available through Datanomics. Um, and so, you know, if you're able to, you know, so if you've got, you know, 20 machines and you basically get a 10% boost out of it, well, that's two machines for free. Well, not for free, but for a very, very low price <laughs> through Datanomics, right? Because you didn't have to go out and buy whatever price machine it is that you typically buy. So we've been very, very happy with um, kind of that whole process and investment, you know, from one investment kind of tying into another investment um, and ironically delaying the other investment by a year because we just turned out we didn't need to actually hit it, you know, need it that one year. Um, and obviously that's, that's positive for cash flow. Um, in other areas of investment, um, we actually acquired a sister company, um, May 9th of last year. And that company is more in the welding and fabricating world. And they're literally located kitty corner across the street. It's the, the geography, the geographical footprint is beautiful. Um, so it's really more of a campus that we have now. And um, so we've brought, and so our customer base needs welding and fabricating as well. 
Um, and so with the extreme amount of quality for the product lines that we have over there, um, we build fire trucks, for example, dump trucks, municipal trucks, and then we distribute and repair transportation tanks for hauling milk. Um, and so with the fabrication expertise that we have there for building, you know, quality products like that, you know, we've brought that in-house at Hostrader Industries now. So now we're able to do, you know, really full service assemblies, welding, fabricating, you know, so that's been a significant investment for us, but that's led to, you know, machining opportunities too, because we're just able to do everything in-house. We have a fiber laser now, you know, so there's, there's a lot that is going on at our organization from an investment perspective, a little bit across the board. That new business you acquired, I mean, location, like you say, couldn't be better right across the street, extends the footprint and just what incredible, beautiful trucks that that come out of your work. I mean, the, the posts that I see on LinkedIn from, you know, different rigs and builds that you guys have put together are just gorgeous. I appreciate that. And interesting to know, you know, a, a good chunk of the business is, is milk hauling, which if you're from outside Wisconsin might surprise you, but from inside <laughs> Wisconsin, probably not, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we make about 11% of the milk and somewhere around 25% of the cheese produced in the U.S. And some of the best cheese too. You pointed me in the right direction last time I was there on that topic. <laughs> Actually going to uh, going to crack that open for Christmas in just a few days, the, All uh, right. the, six, the 16-year aged cheddar. So my family Family's been looking forward to that. That is good stuff. Yep, <laughs> that old of cheddar. You're gonna have like the little crystals in there, and it's gonna be sharp. It's that's gonna be good cheese. Every state has something special to it, you know. I remember when I was down south. It's like, man, you can get seafood that you can't get nearly as good as Wisconsin. But then I pick up some cheese, and I'm like, I I can't eat this. Yeah, just a little <laughs> spoiled up here with the cheese. I, I tried. I tried eating it. I, I literally couldn't. You know, every every state's got their that got their special at you know, their, what what makes them special and and that's that's a big part of what we see in Wisconsin is uh, just the huge amount of metal manufacturing and, and that's just part of what we're part of. I'll definitely let you know how uh, how my family enjoys that that good, cheddar. Good. Really, really looking forward to it. So, you know, Kylan, we've covered a bunch of different topics, you know, the business starting in a hog shed you getting involved in, you know, helping unload parts, sanding parts at a very young age, you and your siblings deciding, you know what, we do want to get involved in the business. You know, we want to make strategic impact. I think the makerspace movement, your contributions to the community, just, just absolutely awesome. Your continued investments in technology, the new machines, the software, the digitization efforts that you have underway. I mean, you've done a lifetime of things in seven years of, of getting involved in, in helping to strategically transform the business. So with all that you've already done in the rearview mirror, I mean, what do you think the next seven years is going to look like? Where, where, where are you trying to position yourself to get to? You know, so, so the first thing that I'll say is to not discount what's already gotten us here. You know, one, one example with that is, you know, so it, it's great to talk about new markets, new customers, things like that. Um, but you can't, we have, we can never discount everybody else that got us here, right? Whether it's a small customer, big customer, you got to all treat them the same because if you got one single brick missing from a ginormous house, everyone's going to feel it. You're going to notice it. And so even a small customer that's the size of only one brick, so to speak, still equally important. And so continuing to build off of what we have from new markets, new products. Um, and so we just actually got our AS9100 certification last month. Um, and so I actually haven't even uh, fully released the PR on that yet. And so, you know, so that creates new opportunities, new doors for us. Uh, we're just in the process of actually, sh you know, sharing and, and relaying out there that we have 
um, welding services, fabricating services, laser cutting. Uh, we've got these two different certifications for uh, welding, one's for pressure vessels, one's for structural, um, so forth. You know, we're just getting to the point where we're going to start communicating these things. You know, so now we're in a position where we're going to continue to invest in machining, continue to look at new technologies like Swiss lathes when it, for when it makes sense with one particular customer that we have, et cetera. So continue to invest in our core competencies, but build on these other capabilities that we have uh, to, to really allow us to scale to a whole new size. And why that's exciting to me is that scaling up gives you a bigger footprint. And a bigger footprint allows for um, not just a different kind of impact, but a different size of impact. You know, whether it's within our organization or outside of our organizations with customers, a community, et cetera. Um, but I really believe that the synergies that we have with, with, um, with the company we acquired and adding these new capabilities. Um, I mean, we, we build fire trucks for Pete's sake. You, you open that up, look at all the wiring in that for these customers in the aerospace world and other industries, industrial equipment, you know, we can do full service assemblies for them from the machining to the fabricating to the wiring and so forth. And I think that's where a lot of the um, excitement for us is going to be and uh, growth over the next um, several years. A culmination of all the technologies you've gotten in place, all the ways you've thought about serving the industries that you serve and really doing that at 3x, 5x, 10x the size. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to watching, you know, you and family and, and your team grow into that. I know, I know you'll get there. I can see it, you know, so intrinsically obvious in your culture and your, your approach to growth and problem solving and customer satisfaction and quality. So I, I have no doubt that, that that'll be a true story. And if we do another episode three years from now, we'll be talking about three more acquisitions, 30 more machines, and who knows what else, right? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. So the the question we always like to like to wrap with here, Kylan, is if you went back in time and you could talk to the version of you, you know, when that manufacturing torch was first lit, with everything you've learned on this journey, what what advice would you give yourself? I think that that is a paradoxical question because if I were to go back and give my former self advice. It would change my former self, which means an unknown version of myself would now be giving advice back to my former self. <laughs> and does it involve a DeLorean? So, <laughs> so I, I can't tell you what that unknown self would say uh, to, to former self, you know, but, you know, the, the reality is, is that, you know, all those experiences and all the things that we've learned and I've learned over the last several years and, and even before then, we take that and we, because and, and I'm happy with where we're at. There's always room for improvement. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I'm, I'm thankful to God where, where I'm at, where we're at. But we take all those other experiences and we apply it to the here and the now for the future. And some of those areas that we have that we're growing in, whether it's capacity, new technologies, KPIs on the floor, managing personalities and relationships. And, you know, I just... I don't think I'd even have the, the the capability to go back and tell myself something because it still got me to who I am today. And, and, and it goes back to that paradox, I guess. But, uh, you know, and that's just, and, 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 you know, we'll just continue looking ahead and applying what we've learned. I love that answer, Kylan, because that's almost the same answer I would give, even though I'm the <laughs> one that asks the question, because, you know, you're, you're a dynamic and adaptive problem solver 
right? And you understand that accumulated change, accumulated knowledge and accumulated improvement is, is basically irreplaceable through a singular piece of wisdom or advice. And I, I appreciate the nuance of that answer because I think, I think you're a hundred percent correct. It's, it's really what your answer is, is be you learn the way you learn, incorporate the information, get smarter, get faster, get better. You know, but what we do have the opportunity is not just applying it to ourselves moving forward at a current age, but we have the opportunity to mentor and talk to the people that are younger. Right. And I think that's where one of the big opportunities isn't, you know, to, to be able to go back and talk to people that are 20 years old. They are 16 years old. You know, they, they are trying to figure out life and to, to give them advice that just I never got when I was that age. And that's that's I, I think one of the things that I, I especially enjoy as well about uh, working with uh, the schools, the tours, the community, things like that. Great perspective there. And, you know, definitely enjoy doing the same and, and starting to figure out that I think I think I'm becoming the old guy now in a lot of contexts. <laughs> <laughs> But all for the better. Just means you have a lot to offer. In theory, right? We'll, it, we'll see if we can reduce that to practice. <laughs> so Kylan, have, have really appreciated uh, having you on the show, learning more about your culture, your contributions to the community, uh, the way you think about technology, your love and passion for the manufacturing industry, and how truly you, your family, your team members are pouring into the town, the state, the industry to keep things thriving in America. That is exactly what we mean when we talk about manufacturing Mavericks. So thank you for making the show a better one through your experiences and and your contributions and and really great talking to you today. Thank you for having me, Greg. This was an absolute pleasure. Awesome. Take care, Kylan. You too. Thank you for listening to Manufacturing Mavericks. If you'd like to learn more, listen to past episodes, or nominate a future Maverick to be on our show, visit mfgmavericks.com. And don't forget to subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app.